Thank you, worship team, for ushering us into the presence of God. You know, I think we go through life far too often with blinders on that we forget that everybody has a story, that everybody is going through something in their life that makes that song very difficult to say that it is well. As we consider the church that God is calling us to be, we need to keep that at the forefront of our minds that the world is full of people who are hurting. The world is full of people who are going through suffering and they need Jesus. The only thing that's going to change their life is a relationship with Jesus, a life-transforming relationship with Jesus. And as we consider the kind of church that we want to become, we must keep at the forefront of our mind the glory of God so that people who are going through difficulties of life because of their relationship with Jesus can still say it is well. How many of you have ever seen or heard of a banyan tree? A couple? So you may have seen a tree that looks like this. This is a banyan tree. It's, it's indigenous to uh, India and Pakistan and, and some of those regions where it can get pretty hot. And you can imagine if you were in one of those areas where it was as hot as it gets and as humid as it gets, that this would be a welcome sight. That uh, uh, these trees oftentimes will grow to an immense size as, as great as an acre of land that they will actually cover up. You can see the secondary trunks that go down the ground, the roots go down in the system, the canopy um, is quite large, and all sorts of animals and humans will take refuge underneath of its leaves. And so you can imagine that as we think and consider about the kind of church that we want to be, that this may not be a bad idea, you know, to be this place that's a refuge and a strength, this far outreaching covering into a community where you can, uh, you know, touch the lives of people. You know, Nehemiah understood that because of the conditions of the walls of Jerusalem, that God's name and God's glory were at stake that the influence of the people of Israel was really slim to none at that point in time because there was no protection. You know, if God really was the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then why was his city in the shambles that it was? Nehemiah understood this. Nehemiah understood that God's name was at stake and God's glory was at stake, and so that those walls needed to be rebuilt. We saw last week that you know, he also understood that part of it was recognizing that God's plan was to involve other people in the process. But there's something today that I want to point out as we get into chapter 3. Uh, there's a lot of very interesting principles that come out of chapter 3 that if you would read it real quickly, you would probably miss. How many of you have ever read the book of Numbers? The whole thing. All right, so you know, it's a tough one to get through all the names, and as you did in the book of Numbers, I promise I'll do here in chapter 3, I'm going to butcher most every one of those names. And so you give me some grace. In fact, do we have any volunteers that want to read these names? That's what I thought. So don't laugh at me when I butcher their names. I may butcher them just for the fun of it so you don't know which ones I'm doing intentionally and which ones are just happening. But sometimes when we read through this list of names, 
we miss the significance of all that is going on in the midst. And so while I'm not going to read every verse or every name in here, I, w- I want to skim through, and I want us to see this, that Nehemiah had great organization. And that if we're going to be a part of God's plan and, and see God's will done, it's going to take organization. Let me just say this. I am the first to admit that I do not have the gift of organization. In fact, it's not even up in the top tier of my giftedness. It's down here somewhere. And I can cheat and copy other people's organization, but me being organized myself, not so much. Now, that doesn't mean that I value organization. I'm much more of a visionary where I see what is and what can be. And so my challenge a lot of times is seeing what can be, and I can see it very clearly, is just charging forward. My staff will tell you that I drive them nuts most of the time. Some of our staff are very detail-oriented people, and I'll say things like this, don't worry about it, it'll take care of itself. And they squirm in their seats. You see, Nehemiah was incredibly organized, and he understood that God would use other people. And this text, as we are about to go through, you're going to see all walks of life. You're going to see all walks of abilities, you know, that you have nobles, priests, men and women, skilled um, tradesmen at carpentry and, and other things that are working side by side. They were on a equal playing ground. You know, as we consider the church that we want to become, we need to understand that it involves everybody, that it's all part of each of us using the skill sets that we have, that one is not better than another, that we need each other. What I have learned about myself and my skill set is that I need to surround myself with those who are organizational freaks, even though they drive me nuts. Because when you put those skill sets together, amazing things happen. Those that can see the future but not the details, those that can see the details but not the future, as those merge together, God does amazing things. And so as we come together as a church, it's going to take tremendous teamwork, tremendous coming together as we see here in the book of Nehemiah. In order for us to reach every tribe, every tongue, and every nation in Williamsburg and beyond, it's going to take every one of us. And I think that you'll see at the end of the service where God's plan really is, is pretty different than what we typically have as the model of a church. But Nehemiah was great at organizing. He organized both those who were within the walls as well as those that were outside the walls that came to help the rebuilding of the wall. And uh, in this process, one of the things that he did is he recruited leaders. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but let me just suggest that it is an incredible deal. Leaders need to recruit other leaders who then are recruiting their teams to do the work that God is calling them to do. Nehemiah couldn't do it by himself. In a similar way that Nehemiah couldn't do it by himself, there's no way that I can lead this church by myself. There's no way I can do everything that needs to be done by myself. Nor can the elders do everything that needs to be done by themselves. That leaders recruit leaders who recruit teams to do the work of service in the church. That means that everybody needs to be involved. God's way is to call leaders. When we look at this chapter 3, you know, there are 38 different people named and 42 different groups that are, that are identified in this text alone. Now, you, if you 
are one of these uh, detailed peoples, you might go through the rest of the service not listening to a word I had to say to count to make sure there's 38 names in 42 groups. And that's okay. You go ahead and do that. But the point that I want to make here is that not only are there 38 names recognized here and 40 different groups identified, but there's so many more people that aren't even identified in this process that were part of the rebuilding of the wall. Everybody had a job. My desire is for every member of this church, and even those of you that aren't members yet that are regular attenders, to have a role here at SMBC. I would like for you to be able to answer the question or, or, or make the statement to say, I serve, for example, in the parking lot so that people can come in and have an incredible experience from the moment their tires touch the pavement of our property to the time that they leave so they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That's my role. Or I serve in the nursery changing diapers so that when a parent comes in and drops off their children, they feel so comfortable leaving their child in the nursery that when they come in here that they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ because of what I do. That all of us are able to say, here's how I serve, here's the impact it's having on us fulfilling the mission that God has given us. And so Nehemiah has organized everybody. He's given them jobs and locations. He's organized them in 12 different work sites uh, that he's recruited leaders to help with. I'm going to put this map up here on the screen. And you, so you start at the top right at the sheep gate. And as we go through chapter 3, Nehemiah goes counterclockwise around. So here are the 12 work sites that he's, or he's chosen leaders to, to rebuild. Most of these are gates, not all of them, but most of them are gates that are to be restored. The northern part of the city would be the one that was in the most disarray, uh, and it would be the one that was probably the most important to get built up first because that was the closest to where the enemies are. They would, they would come in from the north. And so you'll see in a moment that it was the priests that were assigned to the northern parts of the gates. And so as I go through this text, I'm not going to read every verse. I'm going to start out in verse 1. I'll skip to 3 and then 5 and, and so on. I just want you to see some of these names. And again, have grace. So Elishab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate, which you see in the top right. The sons of Hashanai built the fish gate as, you, as you're going around. Next to him, in verse 5, the Tekoites repaired. Um, in verse 6, Joada, the son of Pasha, and anybody want to pronounce that one? Uh-huh. They repaired the, the gate of Yeshina. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halash, ruler of the, the half of the district of Jerusalem. Verse 13, Hanun and the inhabitants of Zaniah repaired the valley gate. Verse 15, and Shalom, the son of Kalhaz, yep, you guys got that. The district of Mizpah repaired the fountain gate. Verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priest repaired each one opposite of his own house. And so we see that Nehemiah recruited leaders at these various places who would recruit a team to, to go and work. And so that's the second thing that we noticed Nehemiah, that he had great organizational skills. He recruited leaders, and those leaders recruited teams to serve alongside of, of them. He didn't expect them to do all the work, but he did expect them to get other people to serve with them. You know, and, and he empowered them to do such. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But when you are a part of making disciples, I believe that we see this process very well identified here with Nehemiah. He recruited leaders who recruited teams to serve with them. That's the way we ought to be as a church. 
Leaders recruit leaders to recruit teams to work alongside with them. You know, going back to verse 12, I didn't read the whole of verse 12. You know, we see at the end of this that the, the, the ruler of the half district of Jerusalem repaired, he and his daughters. Now, we might not think much of that in our culture today, that women work. But in this culture, to, for them to be working on the wall would not have been something that was normal. Everybody, it was all hands on deck, everybody serving side by side by side. In much a similar fashion, that's the way it needs to be in a church. Everybody serves using your skill set for the glory of God. And this is the key thing I want us to keep going back to. We weren't just, they weren't just rebuilding the walls for safety and security and refuge. They were rebuilding the walls so that God could be glorified, that the King of Kings was the one God of the universe and that his people were cared for. You know, and so here we have all these people working together. Go back to verse 5. I want you to see something interesting that's pointed out in this chapter. You know, and it says, and next to them, the, the Tekoites repaired. But look at this. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Rather interesting that this is pointed out in this chapter. You have all these people serving together, but this one phrase, these guys, the nobles, would not stoop to serve the Lord. You know what? In, in every group, there's a group of people that's like these. They're not going to stoop to serve. In fact, I think most of us can identify having worked for a boss or, you know, some, somebody that was too good to serve, too good to get their hands dirty. You know, and when you think about that boss versus the one who would take his, his shirt off and sit there and, and, and dig dirt alongside of you, which one would you prefer to work with? Right? It was the one that was no better than you, that, that valued you as an individual, that valued your ideas. Whether you're the CEO or the guy sweeping the floor, there's value in every position. Yet our culture wants to say that those at the top are the most important. No, they're not. We are all equals, you know, especially in the church. There is no one gift that God has given another that's better than another. God calls every single one of us to use the gifts that he's given us, both the spiritual gifts and the natural talents and abilities for his glory. In fact, all of us ought to be asking the question, what can I do to glorify God more in? And you can fill in the blank, whether it's being a parent or being a husband or being a wife and being a child, being a going to school, at work, what can I do to bring God glory more? But there's always some who have allegiances to another who won't serve. It's interesting that these Tokoyites were linked to Tobiah. Remember in weeks past I identified Tobiah. He was one of the, the enemies of Israel. He was the one that was getting all the top secret information because he was uh, by marriage related to a lot of the Jews. And so it is believed that some of these guys uh, were probably financially in in relationship with Tobiah, and therefore they refuse to serve. You know, it's, it's just interesting in the church that some have a relationship or a allegiance to another that keeps them from serving, which is interesting, isn't it? But here's the reality. This group of people were to miss out on the glory of God, to miss out on the blessings of God from not participating with. My fear is that some will miss out on what God is doing through this local body of believers because 
whether they would admit it or not, they're too good to serve. Let's not be like this group of people who miss out on what God wants to do in us and through us, through our experiences in life, and then receive the blessings that God will bountifully give as we serve. But here's the next thing that we see that Nehemiah did. He empowered them. So he, he recruited leaders who recruited a team, and then he empowered them to do the job as that task. He, there's no way Nehemiah could have been this supervisor that's going around from position to position to position or doing it all himself. He, there's no way he could have done it with the people that he brought with him. You know, so he empowered them to do it. There was nobles, there was rulers, there was priests, there was men and women. And there's daughters that were serving. He empowered them to do the work of the rebuilding of the wall. I think one of the roles of leaders is just that, that we need to empower others to do the work of service. You know, just as I said earlier, there's no way that I can do it by myself. The, the, the God's design is that myself and that the elders of the church equip reliable men and women to do the work of service. It's really not my job to do it all, but I want to get my hands dirty. I want to be in there doing all those things. It's my job to come alongside of you guys and help equip and train you so that we can go and be the church everywhere we are. You know, that when, when we come together, we get to talk about what God has done in, in the rebuilding of the walls and the building of his church. We get to come back together, and I think at the end of the service, you'll see really what God's plan is for the church so that when we assemble together, we're assembling together to worship God, to, to praise him for all he's done, but also to be equipped so that we can go back out and to be the church and to continue building it. And so if we all are empowered to go do what God is calling us to do and to go build the church everywhere we go, there's something special that takes place. You know, but here's the other thing that happened between all these people that are working together, people of different levels, rulers, priests, nobles, men and women, there was a godly unity that took place as they served together for the glory of God. Have you ever noticed that when you really work together with like-mindedness, serving God, <coughs> that there's unity? In fact, it's kind of hard not for there to be unity. When you're working together with single-minded, everybody's on an equal playing ground. There is godly unity that's taking place. When we realize that we need one another, when I realize that, yeah, Dave, you're gifted in some ways, but you're very weak in other ways, you need to exemplify those gifts and other people that help to take care of your weaknesses. And we realize we're on a level playing ground, and I try not to do everything, then the value of the whole team begins to rise. There is, as Paul would say, there's no Jew and Greek. We are all one body in Jesus Christ that God has given. It doesn't matter about your background, the color of your skin, your education, your past sins. Nobody is keeping a record of that. All that God is looking at is, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you do, then now you have the, the Holy Spirit that lives with inside of you, the Holy Spirit that wants to empower you to do good works for the glory of God. And so, you know, as we move forward and we think about the kind of church that we want to be, remember the banyan tree, this great big majestic tree? that has all these secondary trunks that go down. They can cover as much as an acre at a time. Here's the interesting thing about this tree. The canopy can get so thick that the life-giving nutrients of the rain never penetrate the ground. Matter of fact, a tree, it sucks up all the, the minerals in the ground so the ground beneath is barren. 
this great tree, this great big massive tree really sucks the life out of everything. Yes, it provides shade. Yes, it provides cover from the storm, but it doesn't give life. As we consider the kind of church that we want to be, it's not this tree. I think the model that we need to model ourselves after is really the banana tree. You know, the interesting the banana tree, when, when a banana tree begins to sprout, it, it really takes 18 months for that sprout to turn into fruit. And so at, for six months, that thing grows. But here's the interesting thing. After six months, there's a ring that is, is of other sprouts to come up around that one. And then after 12 months, it begins to, to grow a little bit more. And then a secondary ring begins to sprout. Then at 18 months, that, that tree, it produces fruit. It produces life. For it. it still has some shade. Not the shade that that does, but it still has shade. But all around it, it's producing more and more and more. You see, that's what we need to be as the church. That really is God's model. Not that we come this great big church that has shade and is a refuge for everybody else to come to. The model God has is we come together as believers in Jesus Christ to get equipped so that we can go out and build God's kingdom. Imagine this with me, if you will, that you're chosen as a leader. By the way, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, guess what? You're a leader. You're chosen as a leader. Go recruit a team. And what we want you to do is we want to equip you and empower you as a team to go wherever you live, in the neighborhoods you live, and to build God's kingdom there. To build relationships with those in your neighborhood. To, to say hello to people. Imagine that. Our neighborhood. We wave to one another as we're coming in. And people that are guests coming in oftentimes will, man, your neighborhood is so friendly. They waved at me. Are you serious? That we have gotten such to the point in our culture that when somebody waves at you, it's a big deal. What if we empowered you to recruit a team? Well, I, don't, I can't recruit a team. Guess what? You already have one. You're part of a family. Dad, you're the team lead. Mom, team lead. You got kids. What if you empowered them? You empower, we empowered you, you empowered them to, to just stop and say hello as you walk the neighborhood, that you're just praying for the, everybody and every, all the houses, that if somebody was out, rather than rushing home to watch the Eagles beat the Redskins today, I'm just kidding. Maybe not. That you stopped and you said hello and you had a conversation so that you could build the church. What if you empowered your kids as they went to school and, and you challenged them, encouraged them? Why don't you look for somebody that you can share the love of Christ with that nobody else is caring for today? And when you do, come home and tell me. And your dinner conversations turn into something they've never been before. What if you, when you go to work, you're looking for the same thing? You're looking for opportunities to just love on people and care for them and serve them. So that when stuff goes wrong, you're the person they come to. That is building the church. That is building God's kingdom. And what if this? What if we had groups of people, you all lived in the same neighborhood? Hey, what if we just 
had groups that met together and prayed for the community together? What if you just connected with one another and did life together in your neighborhood, seeking out how you could serve the neighborhood together? What if we did that? Rather than continuing to come underneath the canopy of what we call church here and do more projects and more events, that we equipped you to go out and to be the church. Rather than building this bigger and bigger and bigger, that the way we built the church was to multiply over and over and over everywhere we went. That we had these groups that were meeting in homes. You know, maybe even being equipped more by studying the word and being held accountable together and having times of prayer. But the whole purpose of the group was to multiply like the banana tree, not the banyan tree. The whole purpose of the group was in six months to see sprouts coming up because we're building intentional relationships with people in the community. And, and then at, at 12 months, we see them reaching out to other people. And then at 18 months, there's finally fruit. That we see people come in the faith and you that's building the kingdom of God. That's God's plan. And so as we come to our time of invitation today, what role is God calling you to be a part of? What is God calling you to do in the building of his kingdom and being part of a, a local body of believers to, to dive in together using your gift mix? I can't do it by myself. You can't do it by yourself. But together, as we love one another and we, we equip and empower each other with God's word and we go out, we can have an incredible impact on Williamsburg and beyond. That's how you build God's church. Maybe for some God's calling you to be a member of such a church. Maybe it's time for you to come and join ranks with us as we, so we can, we can together with your skill sets and ours to, to combine, we can be more together than we can apart. <clears throat> we can equip one another to go and serve. Maybe God's calling you to be a member of this body of believers. If so, I just say, be obedient. Come forward, share your testimony with our counselors so we can have you if God's will is for you to be a part of this church. Maybe you're a member and you're not serving anywhere. It's time for all hands on deck to serve where God is calling you to serve. Maybe you're serving in an area where there's a greater need somewhere else. And it's time just to to move on to something else where there's a greater need where God can use your gifts to multiply his glory even more than he is right now. You know, and and, and bring somebody else along with you. Maybe it's time for you to to go get a team and to, to do something in your neighborhood. But I'm telling you this, if we would do God's will, God's way for his glory, his kingdom will grow. It's not about building a church that looks like this tree. It's about having... God's kingdom sprout up all over the place everywhere we go. Lives transform with the only thing that will transform them, the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we come to this time of invitation, I invite you to make a decision. I invite you to decide how you're going to respond to what God is saying to you so that we, unlike those nobles who were too good to serve, We can get dirty for the sake of God's glory and receive the blessings ourselves, but see lives changed forever with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for today and just the opportunity that we have to come together to worship you. Lord, I thank you for just how awesome the vision that you have for your church is. And Lord, that we have made it so complex that it has turned into, in many cases, a banyan tree. But Lord, help us to just to simplify, to simplify and recognize that each of us 
because of the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit, have life within inside of us that needs to multiply. Lord, that everywhere that we go, that your desire is for us to be the church, that everywhere we go to share the love of Jesus. And so, God, I pray right now that you would help us to respond in such a way that is obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading upon our lives right now. In Jesus' name, amen.